Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 84, recorded May 26th, 2012. Yeah, 84, and we're doing our 30th episode, and we're doing Next Generation 34, 35, and 36. Yes. Wrapping up the Klingon-esque story arc. Starting a new arc. Exactly. Yeah, so... As everybody remembers, last time, the crew of the Enterprise has been changed into Klingons. Yes. By that but, wily Q. Yes, Q. A.K.A. Mr. Mitzelpidlik. <laughs> A.K.A. Loki. I, I guess he's... I guess this, this idea's been around a while then, huh? It, kinda. Although Mr. Mitzelpidlik, whatever, seems to have powers closer to Q, right? He can do anything? He can do anything, yep. And I don't think Loki can do anything. I don't know. I think in the in Norse mythology, I think he could do pretty much anything. Oh, wow. That would make him very formidable. Yeah, and haven't you seen The Mask? I mean, even in that comic book series, The Mask is the embodiment of Loki. Oh, is that what that was? Wow. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, wow. If you haven't read the books, the comic books are actually really good. They came out Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. That's what the movie's based on. And yeah. They're a lot darker than the movie. Right. Well, it was supposed to be a comedy, so. Yeah, well, and the comic book is a dark comedy. Pe- people don't always live through the end of the book. Ooh. But it's well, funny. That makes, it, that makes it more interesting. <laughs> yeah, except when people are dying. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny still. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the dark part. Ooh. Anyways, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's worth a read if you ever get a chance to read it. Yes, it'll go on my my to-do list, which is quite long. Yeah. What's your read list? Not enough time in the day to read comic books. Damn it. What kind of world do we live in? Anyways, at least we get to read these three every week. Exactly. And this week's begins with Devil's Brew. Issue number 34, published date late July 1992. The creative team is Michael J. Friedman. Kenneth Penders does the penciling duties. Letters by Bob Panaha. Inker is Pablo Marcus. Colorist is Mike McCormick. Editor is Kim Yale. The cover shows a very surprised Guinan in the middle of an energetic Klingon brawl. Dozens of them are going at it, with some of them equipped with batliths and detox. She has a large rifle in her hand that she might have intended to use at some point, but at this point, she appears to not know exactly what could stop it, including a huge rifle. No flashy text is presented to help explain what is going on. The issue opens up with Q's log, where he says, Q's log, none of your business. With his typical attitude, Q goes ahead and summarizes the precarious situation he has put the Enterprise crew in. On a diplomatic mission, where there are ferrying diplomats from a warrior race called the Yasalanti to a peace conference, Q has turned the crew into Klingons. This would normally be problematic enough, 
but this particular warrior race can't stand to be around other warrior races because they feel compelled to kill them, preferably in hand-to-hand combat. The leader of the warrior delegation named Hoknach, who is attempting to get an explanation from Counselor Troy as to why the ship seems to be full of Klingons. When he goes to her quarters and finds that she is now a Klingon and is just as perturbable as any other Klingon, they get frustrated and they leave. Elsewhere in Picard's ready room, Q is making himself comfortable and trying to get the now Klingon captain's anger up as much as he can, just for fun. Oh, the entertainment value is hard to resist for Q. Fights are breaking out all over the ship, as the former humans find it difficult to control their newfound Klingon emotions. The Yasalanti delegation enters Picard's ready room, looking for an explanation from the captain, and are shocked to find him a lot more Klingon-y than the last time they spoke. The ambassador accuses Picard of mocking them. Picard tries to explain he and his crew are being victimized by an entity called Q who has used his great powers to turn them into Klingons. The ambassador believes none of it and demands to be returned to his homeworld as he storms out of Picard's office. With the Yasalanti gone, Q returns to taunt Picard some more. Picard receives a call from Ten Forward, telling him of an altercation breaking out between some Yasalanti and the crew. He leaves Q to stop it himself and takes Riker and Worf with him. Q dresses as a Klingon himself and pulls up to the bar and asks for a drink to watch all the fun. Picard and company enters Ten Forward to stop the fight. He attempts to reason with his Klingon crew to explain how Q is manipulating them. They must use their intellect and control their emotions to not give Q what he wants. With Data's warning, Picard is able to deflect the attack that comes from behind, and he is able to defeat one of his crew that attacks him. That gets Picard's anger up, and he goes all Klingon rage beast, trying to ask who will be the next to try and fail to challenge his command. Data's cool logic is able to bring Picard out of his berserker rage. The ambassador enters Ten Forward and leaves with his men, who are saying they were almost killed. He repeats his demand to be taken back to their homeworld, or suffer the consequences. They storm out of Ten Forward. Picard says they are going to continue on to Starbase 85 and orders Worf to have his people keep an eye on the Yasalanti. Guinan walks up to Picard and frets about how the place has been torn up. When she sees Q is behind this, she cops an attitude and is able to drive Q out of 10 forward. Picard cops an attitude even with Guinan as if she is trying to challenge his authority. He leaves as Worf is left with Data and Guinan, wondering who could lead the ship if the captain proves to be overcome by Q's changes. As Riker puts together the remaining crew in 10 forward to clean the place up, Worf tries to speak with Guinan about the situation. Klingon Riker takes this as a direct affront to his authority and gets violent and in Worf's face over it. Riker ends up whomping on Worf pretty good and calls Worf a coward. Rather than fighting, Worf controls himself and starts to clean up. In the Yasalanti's quarters, they decide to steal a shuttle and get back to their home world that way. They are all too happy to kill anyone who gets in their way. Q witnesses this development from inside a plant and revels in the fun yet to come. 
to be continued. Again, Guinan has mysterious powers over Q. Yes. I wonder what they are. It's one of those mysteries. It is a mystery. They never actually test it. She's able to threaten him and at least get him out of 10 forward. But they are quick to point out, or she's quick to point out, that her power ends at getting him out of 10 forward. Which, so, is, which is odd, right? It is odd, but at least it keeps the fun going. <laughs> but of course, it, actually, if Q left, I mean, he could leave and leave them that way. But that wouldn't be fun, would it? Right, because then they would be really mad next time he shows up. <laughs> which in the end... You know, except for Guinan, they can't do anything about it. You know, it's not that they can stop Q from doing anything he wants. Yeah, that, that's the problem with like these characters, like Mister Mitzelpitlick and Loki and other characters that can really do. You know, if they wanted to, they could just kill everybody. Exactly, which but, would. But yeah, fortunately but that... for us, they they like to screw with people. Exactly. I mean, the the fun would be uh, over if they allowed them just just to just to kill everybody yeah so that's convenient yeah and we can talk later about data's theory right yeah i guess that's more next issue yeah you know when i was looking at the cover i always thought food fight because obviously (laughs) it's in 10 forward and you see food flying around along with uh people swinging batleths and stuff right and you notice on the cover too that there is what appears to be blood flying through the air you know, little droplets of blood, until your eye goes far enough to see, oh, it looks like it's a wine glass. Right, exactly. It tricks you. Exactly. But it's cool, because that makes you think, like, oh, my God, you know, people are really, like, dying in this thing. Right, because it's, like, right where this one Klingon is almost flying in the air, because he's jumping with his bat lift, and then you see Exactly. And then if you just look at that part right there, you're like, oh, my God, there's blood. And then scan over. Oh, no, it's just a glass. And then at the bottom of the cover, they, they got two close-ups of some Klingonized crew that, that have Klingon knives, the, the, the tox or whatever you, how you pronounce it, how they're ready to kind of stab each other, poke each other. So you think there's any innuendo there? Because last issue, you thought there was innuendo with those knives. Uh, no. <laughs> Troy is not handling the blade in a loving way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Riker's not on the page to smile. No. I do like Guinan's expression. Uh, yes. She is quite surprised, and she looks very unable. <laughs> she doesn't know what to do. I thought it was funny that last issue, they made a point to say that Data was the only one not turned into Klingons, and then we find out in this issue that Guinan also was not turned. Right. Because of her mysterious special powers. Right. And then my only other comment on the cover is there's a random blonde Klingon up at the oh, top, right, oh, right underneath point. the jumping one. Right. Every other Klingon has dark hair in the comic book, but right. for whatever reason, this guy, he's he's a surfer Klingon. Yeah, or Thor. Yeah, something. <laughs> long, long blonde hair. Right. Dude. It's like, where's the waves, man? <laughs> Anyways, I, I just thought that was weird. Right. And something, okay, so different, slightly different topic, but one thing I like overall about this story arc is it puts the crew in a very different situation, which as long as you get past the point that Q has actually turned them into Klingons, and not just outward appearance, I mean inside, he's turned them into Klingons. 
I mean, the emotions, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they still have their intellect, but as this story goes forward, they're changed on the inside a lot, and that includes Riker. So I, I think it's very, very interesting how the changes are more than just skin deep and how the care, what the characters do in this situation. I, I think that's pretty cool. Right. I almost expected them to, to try to play with the, well, these feelings are coming out because you have them normally, but you being a human are able to suppress them better, but they never actually go that way. No. What they seem to say is that the Klingon emotions are stronger than, than human emotions. Right. Which and is... The, and the human crew is not, not used to dealing with it. But if you're not used to dealing with it, then that means you weren't 100% changed into a Klingon, right? I don't know. Right. It's, it's like, it almost sounded like Vulcan. So Vulcans supposedly have stronger emotions than humans, but they're able to keep them at bay due to their training and, and whatnot. Uh, I, I got a lot of that vibe in this story. That right. that Worf, because he's so in control of his emotions, right. he's able to repress these darker feelings or whatever. Right. Because he's eh. used to doing that. Seemed like BS to me. <laughs> okay. But I guess I'll give it to him. Yeah. I would like to comment on the artwork. I okay. think generally the crew as Klingons, they spent a lot of time and they have a lot of detail. And generally speaking, they look really good. I, I like their Klingonization from a detail and from, from that standpoint. But then you look at the Yasalanti and they look kind of cartoonish to me. Like they, they, they don't, at least in most panels, they don't have a huge amount of detail and their coloring is kind of comic bookish. It's yeah, just they, a, they, got, they got bad coloring. Right. So, you know, I, a lot of time has been spent, especially in the close-ups of the crew as Klingons, and that was probably a good idea, but I'm just commenting that the Yasalanti pretty much is, they didn't spend as much time on them. Yes, you are correct. Uh, I have the same comment. Yeah. And, yeah, you're right. They just look, that one that has the huge jowl. Oh, yeah. It's just like. It's hard to take him as a as a threat. <laughs> they are big though, but yeah, they they, they just but so they don't comically look fast. Drawn. They don't look all that strong. So, well, they look pretty strong to me. Uh, not fast. Uh, that that it, maybe not that mobile, especially that leader. Uh, right. I can believe that, but they look really big. So I think they might be strong. Mm, okay. But so you're saying they're big and fat, so they're that's, not a threat. That's what they look like. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So what did you think about Trelane's outfits? And, and ah. I mean, not Trelane, uh, Q. You. Well, actually, one, and you might have said Trelane because one of his various costumes that he keeps switching into is kind of Trelane-ish with the ruffles and stuff. Right, and the long hair. And that's just before he gets his head chopped off. Or chopped off or knocked off. Knocked off. Because Picard is that angry, he's able to finally land a punch in Q's face and so hard it knocks his head off. <laughs> and then he turns into Frankenstein. Yeah, exactly. So. And just holds his head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I don't think he looks all that much like John Delancey though. Uh in in many of the in many of the drawings he doesn't. But some he does, but yeah. Overall, it's a slightly different uh yeah. spin. He seems to have a more pronounced ch chin and cleft in his chin. Yeah, he has a big cleft in his chin. Right. 
I don't know, just all the other actors, you can tell that that's supposed to be Patrick Stewart in, in Klingon makeup. Right. But Cube, for whatever reason, does not look like John Delancey. Right. Most of the time. Right. It, it could have been more close to, to him, but... <sighs> well, how'd you like Hugh in his Klingon outfit? In 10 Forward. There in 10 Forward? Um, I thought well, it looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, there he actually looks like John Delancey. <laughs> in Klingon garb. Right, but when right. he's Trelane or whoever he was supposed to be, or when he's at, in that Roman toga thing, he doesn't right. look like Yeah, him. especially the Roman toga. I will agree on that. But Where's yeah, there on page uh, eight, 17 and 18, I think he looks a lot like John Delancey. Right. So, since we're on page 18, did you notice the typo? Um, let me get to page 18. We're talking about page 18, but I'm not on page 18. So right. Going forward. Mm, no, I did not notice one. What's the typo? So, when she's saying, unfortunately, my powers of persuasion with Q are limited. Otherwise, okay. I'd wouldn't, I would, wouldn't stop. I apostrophe D wouldn't that doesn't make sense yes oh i see it yeah what are you gonna do <laughs> uh there will be typos on occasion and it's really funny how often i just glance right over it right yeah normally i would would too but that one jumped out at me and there's right. one on in issue number 36 that jumped out at me but for ah. the most part i don't catch those yeah i mean it's like my evelyn wood reading class from ages ago you know just scan for scan for meaning you know, scan for content. <laughs> Sometimes I don't look at every word. Who's Evelyn Wood? Ah, so here is a generational difference. Brian would probably get this, but there used to be Evelyn Wood Reading Institute that would teach you speed reading. Oh. So you'd be able to get through a book in half a time or whatever by using the patented methods of speed reading. Did it work? Ah, I took a class in college, in, in community college on it, and it's like, yeah, I could do this, but I would rather actually read the words, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, especially in, in fun stuff. Right. I mean, what's, I mean, what's the point of reading a novel where you're just, you know, skim, you know, missing some of the nuances of uh, language, which, you know, whatever. Huh. Uh, I didn't use it much. Anyway, so uh, speed reading would definitely be conducive to missing typos. Right. And apparently it wasn't too popular a thing because it was kind of a fad, apparently, since you've never heard of it. I've heard of speed reading, just not that late. Evelyn Wood. <laughs> Evelyn Wood. Yeah. Moving on. All right. Moving on. Actually, that was my last comment on this issue. Not a lot my, to say. Not a lot. Yeah. I have one last comment, and that is uh, that Riker looks pretty nasty and mean on page 23. 23. So that's in... That's when he and Worf have had a little uh, fight. Actually, mostly one-sided fight where Klingon Riker is asserting his authority over Worf. Right. And once Worf does not fight back, he's got that... He's got that little smile on his face. Yeah, the evil grin. Exactly. The startling blue eyes, but still evil. So, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of like how Riker's human traits in Klingon form makes him into a little more nasty guy. 
Yeah, I just don't like his hair. Oh, the long hair? Well, he doesn't have long hair. He has short hair, and, and it looks well, weird on his head. It's longer than he normally has when he's a human. Yeah, but remember in the cover of issue number 33? Yeah. When he's a Klingon, he has the ponytail hair, and he looked really good. And then when you ah. open the book, he just looked like a, a bald guy with a, <laughs> with a little yeah. shaggy in the back. And, yeah. and that's that's what he looks like there. I don't like it. He needs the long ponytail hair. Exactly. So Worf does have longer hair, thicker hair, fuller hair. I think he uses the right shampoo. Uh, Riker's <laughs> is a little less full and long. Yep, yep, yeah, he just looks like a balding guy. A balding guy. Come on, it's tortoise head. They're all balding. <laughs> I know. But when you see him, he just it just looks like a middle-aged Worf. guy with a, a bald, bald head. Exactly, exactly. Right, just waiting for the comb over. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I guess that that that's maybe more appropriate since Frakes is losing his hair. But whatever. Is he? Y- yes, thinning hair. Huh. I did not know that. But apparently not as bad, I guess, as Shatner. But not that he would ever let you see it. I think all that's just they they say the same thing about Donald Trump, and there's no way that's a toupee. Oh, I no, I I, I agree with that. I mean, about Trump, that is. Right. But I really do think. <laughs> Shatner and, uh, what, uh, Burt Reynolds? They got two picks. You think so? I think so. <laughs> I always found it funny that Shatner went from straight blonde hair in the, t- in the, sh- in the show, and then he became, like, this curly Earned. brown hair for the right. movies. Right. Because I remember as a kid, I didn't think they were the same person. Oh, because <laughs> they look so radically different, right. you know. And yeah, twenty years will do that to you, but yeah, well, you got to get a new do at some point. It usually doesn't make your hair turn permed. Yeah, but was it? You were a kid then, but I think it was uh, like in the eighties when um, when perms were in, because we had a similar transformation for the Brady men, where one season they had straight hair. And the next season, they had permed hair. Da, da, da. So you think it was? You think it really was permed? Oh, Shatner's? Well, right. what hair he had left was, was probably permed. Oh, okay. I mean, unless he really had a full head of fake but, hair. But how did it turn from blonde to brown? That brown. Well, hold on. I don't think Kirk was ever blonde. He was pretty blonde. Because you, you you called it blonde hair before, and he was never blonde. He always had brown hair. Now, if it was a little darker in the movies, okay, I can grant you that. But Kirk always had brown hair, not blonde hair. Yeah, yeah, it's not like platinum blonde. You're right. Right, It's somewhere in the middle. Right. Lightish, agreed, but... But as a kid, that's a pretty drastic difference. And I I had a hard time reconciling. And plus, I thought the old show was, was, was silly anyway, so I only liked the movies. Right, yeah, well... So uh, Kirk followed Mr. Brady's lead and went for the perm. <laughs> went for the dark perm. Exactly. Anyways, yeah, and you think that's a? You really think that's a toupee? Uh, I do. I go I, back. I, don't, I, go back I, I don't think those. I don't think those rumors are just. At least the. I don't know where he's balding. I assume he's balding in the front, and he's still got you know some hair in the back. But yeah, I personally believe. The rumors. Come on, we've seen him swim in it in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. I do think he's got a toupee. Let's move on. 
All right, yeah, we're way off subject. <laughs> way off subject. All right, so anything else for 34? Nada. All right, so I get the duties for 35. It came out early August 1992, and it is entitled The Dogs of War. And all of the crew is the same, so I won't go through that. The cover starts off with the title. Coincidentally, it matches the title of the issue, The Dogs of War. The uh, main art on the page is that of Klingon Riker choking Worf from the back. Obviously, they're in some sort of fight. Around this picture are little windows. Uh, one of them shows Klingon Picard with the caption, In the Brig. Then there's one of Geordi and Troy, also as Klingons, with the caption, In Deep Trouble. And then next is a normal version of Data and Guinan, and it says, In Command. And then the last one is of Q, with the caption, Enjoying It All. So it's a, it's an interesting little cover. So the story starts off with Q, again, giving us a little background in case we missed an issue. But instead of doing the captain's log like he did last issue, he is hanging upside down in the holodeck with the holodeck turned off so it's just the grid pattern. And Q himself is also comprised of the holodeck grid pattern, so it's kind of interesting. So he's just there to, to recap, and he's also opening some sort of something, and I, I don't quite know what it is, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. So we flash to the bridge. Picard is chastising himself for how he uh, recently let himself go and tend forward and, and caused the big, the big fight. Uh, he orders that all phasers should be put away until they're all able to control themselves. Worf is being tasked to make sure that all the crew relents themselves of their weapons. Riker questions Picard's orders, but does not press the issue when Picard sticks to his original plan. In the lower decks, the crew are not too happy about turning over their phasers. Two members seem to be talking to themselves about possibly disobeying the order. And that is when a figure comes up behind them and says, Maybe it's time someone else made the decisions around here. And the two crew members seem to like what this mysterious figure is saying. Heading towards the shuttle bay, the Ysalenti delegation are planning to steal one of the shuttles and escape this madhouse of a ship. They storm into the room and start attacking the guards. Worf hears about the uh, attack and orders his men to follow him. They hesitate first, because without their weapons, they, they don't want to go. But Worf stands up to them and says that they will follow Picard's leads and he will follow and they will follow his orders. And they follow suit. We flash back to the bridge and Riker is taking this chance uh, to relieve Picard of his command via a winner-takes-all fistfight. Picard gives a few good punches to Riker, but he eventually is overpowered. And Picard is sprawled across the deck, knocked out. Riker, now in command, orders the former captain to be taken to the brig, and his next order is to give all the security officers back their phasers. Back in the shuttle bay, the battle continues. Worf and the Ysalenti leader are duking it out, and eventually Worf is able to subdue him. As the leader is being taken away to the brig, another set of security men arrive with their phasers. That's when Worf learns of Riker's mutiny. Worf heads off to their turbo lift and is greeted there by Q. Q states that he is surprised that Worf is not enjoying himself. 
he should be very happy to be around all of his own kind. Worf, for the most part, ignores the mischievous trickster. Worf arrives at the bridge, just as Picard is being carried out. Riker challenges Worf, but Worf does not give in and returns to his post, even referring to Riker as Captain, much to Riker's pleasure. Sometime later, Data is in his quarters petting a gray-furred cat. There is a chime at the door, and Worf enters the room. Data tells him that they should not be together. But the two of them go ahead and start brainstorming about Q's motives. Data states that Q usually leaves some sort of escape route, and they just need to be able to find it. After a while, Data recalls that Q's plan was to prove that a Klingon crew is not as valuable as the captain had said. They feel that if they can prove that the Klingon crew can complete this mission, then they will prove Q wrong. Satisfied, they exit Data's quarters to begin their plan. Uh, and then we see that the cat is growling at the invisible Q, who tells the little kitty, It's one thing to find the answer. It's another to carry it out. Worf returns to the bridge and challenges Riker. Riker gets a good hit in at first and knocks Worf to the ground. He then gloats and taunts Worf. This only angers him more, and Worf is able to beat Riker with a swift kick to the face and a powerful punch to the base of his skull. Now, with Worf in command, the Enterprise is en route to the USS Hood so that they can transfer the Yacinti delegation and complete their mission. Q appears on the view screen and sarcastically congratulates Worf. He then bids them adieu and returns their crew to their normal forms. In the brig, the Yacinti leader is startled by Picard's sudden transformation back to human. He now believes Picard's crazy story about being transformed. Q then appears to gloat to Picard and vanishes in a flash. Sometime later, the Enterprise is ready to beam the Yacinti delegation away. The leader says that after what he has seen, he is willing to give peace a chance. The story ends with Picard acknowledging that Worf is the one that saved the day. But then he makes the comment, Though, to be perfectly honest, I no longer wish I had a hundred like him. And then the Enterprise stretches and blasts away at warp speed. And then the last caption says, For Gene. End of story arc. Right. And a nice little nod to Gene Ronberry, who had just recently passed away. Indeed. So, uh, a nice subtle one. They didn't hit you over the head with it. No. So, did you understand that last little comment? Didn't it kind of seem like a backhanded, uh, a backhanded compliment? <laughs> Whoa, well, you're really good, but I'm glad I don't have 100 like you. That's well, okay, you just have to take it the right way. How now, do, do you, you take it? <clears throat> you take it like this. I just got through having a ship full of Klingons, and we had nothing but trouble. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of okay with just one of you guys around. You know, I, I I agree with you that you could take it bad. You know, you could take it like like an insult, but I, I think he's just acknowledging the trouble they just came out of. I don't know. I, I thought that was a really odd comment. Well, because he didn't get a he didn't get a ship full of clean, he didn't get a ship full of warps. He got a ship full of angry Klingons. Well, you got a ship a shipload of humans recently turned into Klingons that couldn't control themselves all the way. Right. Yeah. It'd be no different than having a, a changing everybody into Vulcans and them not being able to control their emotions. So basically, you would have a ship full of Romulans. 
Oh, it would kind of be the well, same thing. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that whole theory about Vulcans having even stronger emotions than humans that you mentioned a little while ago. Now, that story would be interesting to see that. Just because it would be a little bit more, more confusing, I think, for the reader. But, <clears throat> because everybody knows what Klingons are. Violent, proud, high emotion, you know. Usually ready for a fight where the whole idea of Vulcans actually being emotional but controlling it is not immediately obvious for somebody that is not a, a long-time uh, Trek reader. Right. But still, it'll be interesting. It would be interesting. Uh, and, I mean, let's be honest. Even humans can act up pretty pretty nastily. Well, so, yeah. I mean, if, if you... If you take away their ability to control themselves, then it doesn't matter if you're a Klingon or a Vulcan or whatever. You're, you know, it's all about how you were raised, and that's why I didn't buy into the crew suddenly acting that way. Well, the whole question of nature and nurture comes into play. So, are Klingons the hyper-emotional, violent species they are because of genetics or because of how they're raised? And Worf would seem to be an example of what could prove nature or nurture. Right. He's and the... he is a lot more human-like. So obviously, nurture figures into it very strongly. But, I mean, I guess this comic is trying to say that even Worf has those Klingon emotions, those strong emotions. So apparently, to some degree, it is genetic. But At least that's what they're saying. Everybody has those emotions. Well, uh... even even you will get mad at somebody. That Look, cuts man, you off. I don't think so. <laughs> Somebody cuts you off on the freeway. It, and you turn Klingon. It, it makes you mad, but you don't ram them with your car. or Well, maybe you don't. <laughs> That's what all those dents on that car was. <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm I thought, just saying. I thought I got them all Everybody has of. those flares of anger, and, but yeah. you're well, able you to know, hold it, them down. Pretty much every race in the Star Trek universe is, I'm not sure if this is the right word, but a metaphor or some kind of accentuation of of a human uh some some facet of, of human behavior so right you got the vulcans that are extremely intelligent low emotion you got the klingons that are extremely emotional not as big on the brain brain power you know so they're all and, and humans are in the middle because you know it basically they're all spins on on humanity sure but yes so, so anyways that's again um that, that was my big Hang up. I think we talked about it last week too. You know, we talked about it at length last week. That I, that was my big hang up with these three issues is that I couldn't buy that these people would suddenly change their their beliefs just because their forms changed. Right. But well, we'll we'll, well, well, we'll just have to go with it. Like yeah. you told me well, last week, just go with it. Well, you have to <laughs> exactly. Okay. Now we do have an entire shipload of humans turned into a totally different species. Like, in a wink of an eye. So that's, like, <laughs> that's a big thing to swallow right there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know Q's all-powerful, whatever. But it's still a big thing to swallow. Right. So on the cover, uh -huh. I was wondering, what's the deal with Worf's face color and his hand colors? So we got Riker, who has Worf in a headlock. And, and Riker looks kind of normal, skin color. But Worf is gold colored, so he's his 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 skin is basically the same color as his uh, tunic, right? Tunic, right? Nope, you're right. It is. I I didn't notice that until you mentioned it. Yeah. So it's like, did they do it on purpose? 
I mean, why did they do it on purpose? I don't get it. Was it on mistake? I mean, it's a cover. I mean, don't they usually have covers are more likely to be right from a technical standpoint than the than the than the inside, you know, in the inside pages? I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Why well, um, he would be lighter lighter than Riker. Uh, right, yeah, gold colored. Yeah, gold Yellow, colored, not really. even brown. Yeah, yeah, so, no, it doesn't make sense. It's, I don't get it. And another thing, on the back to the cover again. Yes, Picard is in the brig. Okay, I'll agree with that. Then they show Jordy and Troy, and it says in deep trouble. And it's like those two were bar- barely in the issue. <laughs> now, if they're saying were that, they even in it at all? Well, very possibly not. At least I'm pretty sure Jordy wasn't, uh, unless he was in the background or something. But you, I mean, they make it sound like those two characters in particular were in trouble. Well, they weren't, unless they're trying to say that they are representatives of the crew in general. So the crew in general was in trouble. Is that right. what you're trying to say? That's like, what I was okay, going for. Yeah, because yeah, they, they were those two, two characters were in no more danger than anybody else. And then they show Guinan and Data in command. Well, not really. I mean. I mean, it's pretty much Worf and those two are the only ones that still seem to be unaffected, so they can like like think, still think, think their help think their way out of it. But, but Guinan wasn't, wasn't so, even in this issue. Oh, she wasn't in this particular one at all. Oh, just uh, the last one. Okay. Just the last issue. So, um, definitely, it's Data who comes up with the plan and the observation about Q's modus operandi, always leaving a way out. You just have right. to find it. Which, by the way, really? Okay, maybe. I didn't notice that before. Okay. Yeah, um, just just like Mr. Mitsopitalik. Yeah. Oh, is, so he does that too with Superman? Yeah, so he he has to be forced to say or spell his name backwards. That's his that's his way out. And he tells Superman as soon as he as soon as he sees him, "Hey, every time I show up, if you can ever trick me to say my name backwards, I'm leaving." Oh. And he causes all this heck uh mischief and stuff and then somehow Superman has to find a way to get him to say his name. Okay, I don't want this to turn into a Superman <laughs> comic book review, but how the devil? I mean, how many times did this guy show up? Like, like, like fifty times or something in the entire. Uh, run? He used to when he first showed up. It was kind of like an annual thing. Once okay. a year, they would bring him back. Okay, fine. So, so what? Ten times, twenty times? I don't know. But well, he's been around for seventy years, so well, okay. uh, quite pick a, few a number. Times. Pick a number. Oh. Every time Superman is able to get him to spell his name backwards, or yeah, right, or really? some, or trick him to spell his name or say his name, yeah, that, that's his, uh, his that's his, that's his mo. Which makes no sense, by the way, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but how do you trick somebody with a name like that? Whatever. Okay, back to back, yeah, back you, to Star you, Trek. You should watch the episode of Superman the Animated Series yeah. where Mitzel, Mr. Mitzel Pitalik comes in and it, it, he's voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. So it's actually oh, – it's a really funny episode. I can see that. What it... But it's basically Gott... Superman versus Q and it's it's an awesome episode. I'll, I'll try to find the name of that episode and, and you can look it up on Netflix or whatever. Okay. Anyways. Because to... Gilbert Gottfried is equal parts funny and annoying. So. <laughs> yes, and he fits he fits Mr. Mitzelpidlik to a T. Yeah. Okay. All right, so back to the cover. That's the last thing I had to say. Oh, but cover. so only two two of the three little windows, two of the four windows uh were true to you. Picard uh, enjoying in the brig and Q enjoying it all. Oh yeah. 
Well, that, the other you, two were just you rubbish. can't just dis- you can't dispute those. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> now, when I was reading it, I was like, "All right, Picard's really in the brig." That's the first time, or that's very rare that the cover has anything to do with the real story. And exactly. Then, then you're right; those other two never happened. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, so uh, back to page one. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about that. What What is he opening up and looking at? Because it kind of like a. Okay, yeah, so you, you didn't say that in the, in the, in the synopsis. you got to keep things going. But Q, well, first off, what's he doing on the holodeck? Upside I mean, down. Upside Floating. down, floating around, and he's got the same kind of like matrix grid pattern on him uh, as the rest of the holodeck. So what's why would he be there? I mean, did they say, oh, you know, we got to show Q doing something. We don't want to dress him up in another costume in Picard's office. Eh, holodeck. I haven't seen the holodeck this issue. I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, okay. They, they're just mixing it up. Right. And to your point, what is he holding? There's this glowing kind of oval white and light blue thing he seems to be holding in his hand. What is that? Yeah, I don't know. And I, I keep reading what he's saying when he's holding it to see if it has some sort of double meaning, and, and I don't get it. Yeah, so in one panel, it's what I had just described. I mean, it almost kind of looks like an like you're looking down on top of an old phaser type one from the original series, almost. Right. It's that kind of sort of oval kind of shape that's cut off on both ends, so it's not perfectly round on each long end. But then it's got that little 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 circle inside that kind of looks like uh, like toothpaste. You know, white on the outside and a little a little minty fresh uh, <laughs> line of something in it. And then you look. The next panel shows it from another an- angle, and he's upside down. and He's still holding onto this thing, whatever it is, and it almost looks like the top of a thermos. It does look like a thermos, yeah. And it's like, what the? What is it? And I'm just like, all right, I just got to go with it, and maybe they'll explain later. And they don't. No, they don't at all. Okay. Yeah, to me it looked like he was looking at the top of like a deodorant stick or something, <laughs> and then suddenly it turns into like shaving cream or a thermos or something. And I'm like, is he is is he just waking up in the morning? What what's going on here? Exactly, he's getting his morning shave out of the way. <laughs> getting some deodorant routine. on. Uh, that's uh, good point. Good. I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're right. At least that's somewhat of an explanation. <laughs> A that, very that, bad explanation. You, you came up with more than I did. <laughs> okay. Oh. So my last comment on this issue, because I don't really have a lot to talk about, because it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but I don't have a lot to say. But on page 14, uh, I'm assuming Data's holding Spot yeah. is his cat, but right. Spot's orange, and this cat is gray. Ah, good point. So, so my question to you is... So he was always a tabby cat? Kind of yeah, thing? yeah, Spot was. But do you yeah. think this is a Klingon cat? That's a very good point. Maybe. And the other thing... Now, he doesn't. He looks pretty nice, though. I mean, he, he looks, looks like a nice cat. Yeah, he looks like a normal cat. And then the other thing towards the end, when Q seems to be talking to the cat... Right. And there's another thing where he's shushing. So again, it's the... Q can be seen by the cat, and and Q is kind of like shushing the cat or something. It's like was that you know I was is this ISIS again? It's like what, <laughs> is, is well, the cat interacting with him? I, I don't know. Well, remember in issue number thirty three uh, at the O'Brien's house, yeah, the Molly could see him, right? 
So I think they're just saying, you know, kind of like a quantum leap thing. Do- animals and babies can see you as your real form. So even though he's invisible to everybody else, the the cat and the babies can still see Q. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Oh, well, I just thought it was an interesting. But yeah, nuance. so yeah, I was just thinking that maybe this was supposed to be a Klingon cat, and that's why he suddenly turned brown. Or, I'm sorry, gray. Right. Since the fish turned into a Klingon fish in that issue number three. Oh, I love that. Now, that really looked like a fish, though. I mean, a Klingon fish. Yeah. This looks like a normal cat that just has changed its color. Right. Oh, and the other thing I like, okay, so the last thing that, that Q says to, to the cat is, don't look so smug. The game's not over yet. So it's like, I mean, he's talking to the cat as if the cat really understands what's going on. Now is that right. just a joke? A little a little fun thing, a little game he's playing with the lower life form that has no idea what anybody's saying? I'm going with that. Okay. That that'd be the only thing that makes sense. Unless there's more to spot than we realize. ISIS, I'll tell you. <laughs> Alright, well that that's a good theory. I hadn't thought of that one. Okay. Something I was wondering about is since they were told not to use phasers and they were just so like like being real babies about it, I mean you're Klingons, come on. I mean I'm surprised they didn't just say, okay, but no one said I couldn't bring my batleth. Right. You know, or my knives. It's like, you know, you can cut somebody open pretty good with those. So. But where would they get those batleths and knives? They'd have to run to the replicator? Good point. Because I think normally it's only Worf's room that has that kind of stuff. Right. Worf's quarters. Yeah, and the holodeck. Right. Right. But, I mean, you have a replicator in every room so it's it wouldn't be hard to get a whole bunch of them do they have a replicator in every room well definitely every every all their quarters have them right oh do they i didn't know that or maybe they're just food replicators is there a difference between food replicators and regular I don't replicators think so. i don't think so i didn't think no, so why, why would there be if you uh, can make one thing why not make whatever yeah, so you it's can either order problem. a chocolate sundae or but, okay. a batleth now i know okay now it would make no it i agree with you it makes why not have something in your in in your room? I know Picard has the replicator in his ready room in his office because he gets Earl Grey all the time. Right. But people, but we've seen in episodes that people in their rooms have replicators. Okay. I've definitely seen one where Troy has one in her room, so I assumed cool. everybody had one. Yeah. Why not? Of course, you might never leave your your room when you're not on duty, but whatever. Yeah. Why would you need to? Yeah. yeah. Just to go to the holodeck people. and it to. Uh, for the camaraderie in Ten Forward, but aside exactly. from that, yeah, everything's there. Cool. Uh, let's see. So, okay, and the last thing I gotta say is, I just want to bring up the the theory, the uh, the postulate, the thesis that says that every time Q comes into a situation, he always gives them a way out. They just have to find it. Mm-hmm. So. Is the, is that the case? I mean, it, uh, maybe I just didn't notice. Well, maybe, it, it seemed like he right. always they always had to learn a lesson. I mean, it was it was almost handy he- heavy handed that once you learn that you're not all powerful because there's a race of Borg out there that are more powerful than you. Once you learn that, he sends you back home. <clears throat> right. Once so you're he, not so so you're not so uh, full of yourself. Right. So okay. yeah, I think every Q episode does have some sort of moral, and once. Once they learned it, then he sent them back to normal. Well, is it always a moral? Or something like something, whatever. Yeah. In his right. mind, it's a moral. Well, I do like how, how Data has said that he always leaves a way out. 
as opposed to trying to say there's a moral to the story or whatever. He's right, right, right. He's trying to yeah. teach you something, kid, children. <laughs> Listen. Yeah, a way out. Yeah, that's cool. I guess. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I had to go back and think through a couple of episodes, and, and I think for the most part he does. I mean, I guess there was that one where he had to learn the lesson, right? When, oh, yeah. When he turned into human. Right. They had to swap so, I mean, that one. Yeah. And then there was the one where he has the that girl ended up – she was a – Q that was being raised as a as a, a uh, as a human, right? And then, but but Q wanted to take her, right? 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 And he I did. Think, I think he did. Yeah. Yeah, but what? Who was learning something there? Uh, maybe that was him. Oh, he was learning that there is benefit of her oh, having that humans. humanity or whatever. Oh, I see. I see that human interaction, that 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 exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, think... what about Farpoint? What was the lesson there? Oh, I think uh, that was... Again, did, did did Q learn that that humanity wasn't all just uh, violence and war? I, I don't know. Yeah, they had. To, I think I think that might be it. Maybe they always have to prove it to him. Okay. Here he's proving that even with a hundred Klingons, they can still win. Ah. There they were proving that. Yeah. So maybe reverse what I said earlier about. They have to learn a lesson. Right. I think everybody learns. <laughs> Q learns, Picard learns, everybody learns something, the viewer learns something. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> I think I learned something this episode. <laughs> kind of like a little, uh, was it Kyle? I don't know, one of the South Park guys used to say it all the time. Oh yeah, in the first season? At the end of the episode. Yeah. I think we've all learned something here. That's all I have to say about this all right. issue. You want to jump into 36 then? I say yes. So, issue... 36 is Shore Leave in Shanzibar. Published date is late August 1992. The creative team is Michael Jan Friedman, Peter Kraus, penciler uh, Bob Panaha Letters, Pablo Marcos, inker, Mike McCormick, colorist, Kim Yale, editor. And by the way, one of these days, it would be interesting to know, is Pablo Marcos not doing art anymore? I mean, he was a a penciler. Yeah, he was, but now he's just doing the inking. Interesting. I thought he, I thought he was a good penciler, but okay. The cover shows Picard in the embrace of an attractive, mature brunette named Ardra. The text above says Ardra's back, and there's gonna be trouble. The title page shows a big-time close-up of the Enterprise D approaching a rusty brown and bright orange planet. Picard's log tells us the Enterprise D is approaching the shore-leave world known as Shanzibar, against his better judgment. On the bridge, Riker tells Picard he should reconsider and take some shore leave on Shanzibar. Picard says the place has a bad reputation for trouble, and at one point, Starfleet personnel were barred from the planet due to it being too dangerous. Troy states they cleaned up their act, and Starfleet officially lifted their ban on the place. Picard says the place has not passed his standards, nor proved its worth to him. They detect a three-nacelle ship that looks like a weird Starfleet ship. It is white with red accents around the engines, and the saucer section is actually more closely shaped to a cone shape of a volcano rather than a disk. Data identifies it as Ardra's ship. For the benefit of Ensign Rowe, Picard briefly recounts that Ardra is a devious and talented con artist that they locked horns with before. Though Picard wants to get as far from Ardra as possible, 
Riker uses her presence as leverage to get Picard to finally take some shore leave on the planet. He says that considering the trouble she has caused before, how can they leave and not find out what she's up to on Shanzibar? They beam down in native costume to an open square surrounded by Arabic-looking buildings. It is bustling with people going about their business, and no one seems to give them much attention with their sudden appearance in the square. Troy is enamored with what she sees so far. Roe tells Geordi that the place is tamer than last time she was here. Picard reminds them that they are here to have fun, but also to find out what Ardra is up to. They use Roe's previous experience on the planet long ago to identify a tavern called the Cauldron, where Roe thinks they will be able to hear about Ardra if she has made her presence on Shanzibar known. On the Enterprise, Worf is responding to Data's queries as to why Worf is refusing shore leave. Worf says that Ardra and her ship is in the area so he cannot desert his duties aboard the Enterprise as security officer. Data counters saying other security officers are aboard the ship to keep an eye on her ship and the Enterprise. Worf says they are not Klingons. And besides, since the Shanzibar government cleaned up the dueling pickpockets and kidnappings, it's hardly a fit place for a warrior to vacation in anymore. The away team enters the cauldron tavern looking for information and are seated at a table. They witness on a stage a form of entertainment that Picard describes as a cross between ballet and opera. Ensign Rowe's observation that a patron at the table next to them is emotionally reacting to the show is overheard and triggers a new emotion in the patron, anger. A fight ensues that draws the entire away team into it. With the entire tavern involved in the brawl, Picard orders their departure before they get hurt. On their way out, they are arrested by Shenzabar cops that look a bit too much like Judge Dredd to me. Their comm badges are confiscated, and they are driven off in a floating paddy wagon. On the Enterprise, Riker and Dr. Crusher are discussing how they should thank Ardra for being at Shanzibar. If not for her, the captain would not have taken any shore leave at all. The always cautious Worf asks if they should contact the captain for a check-in. Riker says to leave the captain alone for a little while longer. He deserves to have some fun for a change and they should not unduly interrupt that fun. Meanwhile, on Shanzibar, the landing party finds itself in prison in a large room full of 20 or more Shanzibar inmates. Picard is fretting over the accommodations and the possibility of a diplomatic incident. As Picard is discussing who will take the blame for whatever happens to them, Picard is tapped from behind by a woman with a diaphanous veil on. When he turns, he receives a passionate kiss from the woman, who apparently has excellent veil control. Now, in a semi-embrace, Picard says, Ardra. And Ardra says, Don't look so surprised, my pet. You should have known you had not seen the last of me. To be continued. I love the veil control. That was an awesome little (laughs) jab. (laughs) You've got a veil on! But apparently the veil has a slit in the middle, like right in front of her mouth. Right. Yeah. O- only when you get ready to start kissing. and then <laughs> <laughs> It parts magically. Now, yeah. now, now, to be fair, it looks like, like, like she's got her head tilted up. 
so her chin's kind of jetting out that could kind of, you know, kind of part the veil, but still. No, I'm seems, with you. I, I had the same comment. <laughs> it seems a little... She's good at that. I mean, it's not like her hands are near it or anything. It's like she's got telekinesis or something. Party right. veil. Anyway. So did you think it was a little odd they didn't explain who she was? I mean, all they said was that we bumped into her before, but they don't say when or where. Right. And actually, for me, I, I kind of remembered her. I, I kind of recognized her, but I had to look the name up. Oh, did you? Yeah. So, indeed, that was from Devil's Due. Yep. She's um, the devil. Well, yeah. She – right. So, in that episode, I'm sure everybody – the vast legion of people listening remember that episode where she comes to collect a – was it a thousand-year-old debt, supposedly? And wants to take over an entire planet. And she's a con artist, so. Right. Uh, she's got some really good parlor tricks that makes the audience, and to some degree, maybe the crew to some degree, think that maybe she is the devil. Give a second thought about what they're up against anyway. Uh, but in the end, of course, Picard uses his logic and saves the day. And saves the planet from being turned over to this woman. Absolutely. Yep. And to be perfectly honest, it's been a long time since I've seen that episode. I remember parts of it. But I don't remember them getting that huggy kissy yeah I don't, I don't remember that either right and because she was the devil she even had the little horns and everything uh, right right that's not somebody you want to hug and kiss right does she have i didn't even notice does she have do they do they show any no, 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 no. Of horns here no 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 when she uh transforms right. remember she goes through that whole little montage of you know and you know, almost like what uh, God does in Star Trek V, she does, where she becomes like the Klingon version of the devil and oh, right. things like that. Right. You know, just like, you know, the, the God character did in Star Trek V about... Yeah, I got you. Which I always thought was weird. I was like, okay, you're just doing, you're doing Star Trek V, but with the next generation, and you're taking the other deity. Gotcha. <laughs> Way to be original. Right, exactly. Yeah, we're we're going for the the, the nasty one this time. Oh, oh, and, and it's just a con artist, just like the god character in Star Trek Five. Yeah, way to go. Yeah, you know that's Star Trek Five. I don't want to talk about it much. <laughs> Come on, it's one of the best ones. Uh... Talk about <laughs> to, to ridicule, <laughs> to ridicule. Anyway, so what do you think about the cops' outfits? Yeah, you mentioned that about Judge Dredd, and uh, I. Let me look again. They got the helmets. They got the goggles. They got the kind of Buck Rogers-ish kind of guns, big guns. And, you know, shoulder pads and everything. And they just reminded me of uh, Sylvester Stallone as Judge Dredd. Um, no, I don't, I don't see it. Really? Okay. Oh, I guess the one that actually has the visor over his eyes, I can see that. Well, they all have visors, don't they? Yeah, but most of them, they're kind of pulled up over their heads, on oh. on the top of their heads. So I guess oh, the yeah, ones yeah, that, see. yeah, the ones that are standing there next to the, um, yeah, that so, takes their comm badges. Yeah, well, exactly. Those two guys on the bottom of page nineteen, yeah, the lower left uh, panel. Yep, yep. No, I was looking at the guy that arrested them. I, yeah, who has a big mouth, by the way? And he's gray again. <laughs> you know, he he's another gray colored person. Yeah, no, uh, Judge Dredd, I, I do see it on those two guys. Uh, so what would you think about Rose's story about being to Shanzibar once in her past? Uh, it's fine. I mean, I guess. It's handy. It's backstory, you know. 
Yeah, but so yeah. she, her planet's, her planet is, is uh, being oppressed by the Cardassians, and right. I don't. You don't hear of a lot of Bajorans making it out in the in the universe, right? And so, also, did, did they have warp space flight when the Cardassians came to them? I don't well, think so. Did they? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And obviously, this this story came out before they really fleshed out the Cardassian Bajoran backstory. So, right. I got to give them a little credit. You got to give them. You got to give them leeway there. I just right. being more of my nitpicky self. Yeah, that uh, that her uncle should not be a captain on a space freighter or whatever. Exactly. Or whatever right. he was. Yep. Continuity problem. I right. See. I agree. I agree. So on page ten, that was there's uh, the grammar mistake that I caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see who says it. So when. Picard's all in all about the tavern. Rose mm-hmm. says, "You had no idea a Shanzibar Ta tavern would be so genteel." And then Picard says, "I could not have said it better myself." <laughs> so not only is it a mistake, and Picard says it's it's perfect. Yeah, he's like, it. "Oh, that's brilliant." <laughs> it is a Shanzibar Ta Ta tavern. <laughs> that's funny. I just thought that was that was a humorous uh, follow up to a mistake. Obviously, they put T A twice. Yeah, yeah. Good point. What else you got? Because that Good was catch. my last comment. I was kind of wondering about who went on the away team. You know, so it it you know it, it looks more like it's like somebody said, uh, well, let's see who we haven't seen for a while and throw them onto the onto the uh, away team. Uh, rather than who would be useful on this on this gig, so Jordy, smart guy, <laughs> engineer, uh, visor, so he's going to draw attention. So, you know, why send him? I don't know. Row, okay. If they would have known she was here before they went on the sh- on the trip, perfect sense why they would pick pick her. Yeah. Uh, Counselor Troy, eh, eh, I guess if you got to read people's emotions, okay, maybe. And if you um, want to see Troy in her gypsy garb. Oh, which is which is sweet. That, that is nice. So it's like, I don't know any... And of course, in the end, uh, well, Captain... Well, okay, so let, let's let's say Picard has to go. So if I was going to go down to a, uh, a place that at least at one point was rough and tumble, plus you've got Ardra, who might be some kind of a threat. You never know what kind of trick she's got. I'd be down there with Worf and Data, personally. And plus, if you're going to try to figure out where somebody is and figure out what they're up to, why not have data there? He's got the database in the head. He's pretty smart. He can figure things out pretty quick. He's basically the, the, this, the substitute for Spock in many instances. I just didn't get the landing party makeup. Yeah, I, I get Troy being there. Yeah. Because if she is somehow manipulating people, Troy would be able to figure it out. Okay. But yeah, I don't get the row, the row and... Jordy thing. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you're going to go to a place that at least at one point was rough and tumble, wouldn't you want to go there with a Klingon for security? I don't know. Or, or Data, Data, who could yeah. also kick, kick the butt out of anybody if exactly. you had to. And you know, one of them. Invulnerable. Well, not invulnerable. For the most part. But close. I've seen him take phasers to the chest, and he just kept walking. In <sighs> yeah. the column. Well, yeah. Uh, but he can be captured by Borg and... Uh, and made to look silly. So, 
<laughs> All right. With artificial skin on his arm, going, Ooh, it was good for me. Anyway. <laughs> I, I didn't like the whole Shanzibar thing to begin with. Yeah. Well, I, okay, what didn't you like about it? Well, I didn't like the whole idea of it looking just like a Middle Eastern, Middle Ages type place. Right. They're not human. They're not, it's not a human colony. It's some alien race that just happened to evolve the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So they chose to give it a look and feel kind of, like you say, Middle Eastern, you know, like, like uh, Zanzibar, you know, that kind of thing. They even put a spin on the name. Right, so they, exactly. they they chose to do that from an artistic standpoint, a kind of a look standpoint. But I agree with you. I mean, it's it's an alien race that has nothing to do with Earth. So yeah. And they got pointed shoes. You can't take someone <laughs> seriously when they they wear an elf shoes. Yeah. Well, and and why? Okay. So why are the cops dressed as Judge Dredd? <laughs> you know. So it's like there's a big difference between the normal look of the civilians and their police force. <laughs> Yeah, so Aladdin versus Judge Dredd. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, well, I, I will say something. With them looking as well-armed and Judge Dreddish as they did, you know, it's kind of like once they got busted coming out of the, uh, the, the the tavern. It's like, okay, you know, you don't have a wharf with your data. Yeah, yeah you probably don't want to try to make a break for it. These guys look pretty serious. Right. You know, I I, I kind of see that they, you know they make them look really aggressive and really threatening. Then maybe that gives them more of a reason to not wimping out and just going along. Well, you don't want to cause an incident. Well, no, but you know, if 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 you're able to, and by the way, were they wearing their badges, their com badges? I, yeah, I don't remember. They weren't visible. Right. So, okay. So I get it. It's a surely planet, so they got Federation people coming in there all the time. So apparently, that's why they weren't. Uh, you know, nobody nobody gave them a, a second look when they beamed in the middle of a busy square. Okay, but so that's how they knew they had com badges, because because they confiscated the com badges, so right. they couldn't beam out. So they obviously knew about Federation technology and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. So even though they're, I guess from the look of their faces or something, they're able to figure their Federation and not like. A traitor or something? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. They, I guess they assume that everybody shows up with a phaser, just like everybody now has a cell phone. <laughs> a phaser and a com badge? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe com badges are common, but yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody would have a communicator of some sort. He didn't right. say com badges; he said communicator. Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's like uh, okay. So all trade ships have transporters too, but yeah, yeah, I guess. That's what I'm going for. Let's go with that. Um, they, they, I mean, they had to get into prison to meet up with Ardra, and so, okay, so this does it. Exactly. And by the way, that guy that was cr- crying one minute and like a raging, a, a road rage guy the next minute, he yeah. looks pretty nasty. But he's a big baby, so what does it matter? Nah. Well, if he's well, okay. So Roe was able to knock him pretty good. That's good. Uh, but still, he came back looking pretty threatening until unexpectedly Troy knocks him over the back of the head with a, a chair. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. There is that weird scene where she like uh, Roe Ro, like gags or something, 
and says bad timing or what did, what did she say? Who, 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 Troy is saying that? Oh, I thought it was Roe. Let me find it. I didn't write it down, but when you mentioned it, it jarred my memory. Hold on one second. Well, uh, not that I want to make this, this any longer. Right. If you look on the top of page 16, okay, it just has her like gagging or something. Did she just take a blow to the back of the head or something? Uh, I think she just took a punch. Either oh, okay. to the face or back of the head or something. Oh, okay, okay. They just okay. didn't show it. And then she says, I hate when that happens, as she kind of goes forward into Jordy's arms. Right, okay. Which I thought that was odd. Yeah, I thought she was getting sick or something, and I was I like, know. that's random. But, yeah, I guess so. I guess she took a hit. We she just didn't have. see it. They just didn't show it. Right. Now, of course, in the page before, or maybe the, the second page before, we see Troy pretty much cowering. She's not much of a fighter. No, nah, she's hiding. Uh, you, you know, which, quite frankly... That kind of makes sense. Does everybody have to be a trained hand-to-hand combat person? You know, she's kind of a small woman. I guess it kind of makes sense. I don't remember ever seeing her in a violent situation in the TV series, but maybe I missed something. Right. But uh, but so they set it up that she looks kind of wimpy and kind of really pretty unimpressive. And then that's the setup for when she takes the chair and knocks the uh, the guy that apparently hit Troy uh row over the back of the head so yeah. right so not as as useless in a fight as we may have been led to believe anyways yeah i i think it's funny that we had out of these three books we had two big brawls <laughs> one in ten forward and then one here right at the tavern right and of course what does picard say you know kind of sort of says <clears throat> oh my god another fight another violence you know whatever didn't we have enough of this when q was on board so a little bit of a nod to that that statement, Donovan. Well, then my statement is fruitless. Then let's listen. No, it isn't fruitless. Fruitless. I'm just saying that you know Picard is giving a nod to it. And I'll tell you one thing: reading these books and the books we read last week, you yeah. know what I really, really want to do? What? <laughs> Watch Batman Returns. Because oh, all the ads tell me in why. these books are oh, all about Batman right. Returns. Yeah, you're right. There's there's a lot of ads. Because this Plus, came out in 92, Batman Returns was coming out. That was probably the biggest movie of the summer. Right. And I know it's not that good, but these <laughs> these your, ads make, make it look great. You want your Batman fix. I do. Yeah, and there's also an ad for Debt of Honor. So that was kind of cool. Debt of Honor. I don't remember that one. Yeah, it's on page. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, Dead of Honor. Yeah, that really cool one with the artwork that's like more 21. comic booky. Yeah, it's a little comic booky, but I do like I, I do like the center shot where it shows Kirk with the phaser, mm-hmm. you know, raised up, ready to fire, and the phaser looks really kind of big. Yep, I I like that shot. Although I, I do agree with you, the 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 art is a little, you know. Comic booky, rough. Not. I, I liked it. I thought it was. I, I liked this ad. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I like it too. It's just you know, it, I don't think it has a uh, like a realistic, a more realistic artwork feel. Yeah, not like. Which is the, fine. Not everything it, has to. Yeah, not like the covers, the Dave Dorman covers from the the actual book. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, no, well, I'd forgotten that was in there. I meant to. I meant to make a note of that. Coming this fall. And who's this Thunderbolt? Guy Peter Canyon Thunderbolt. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard of the guy. He must be one of those superheroes that didn't last very long, right? And he's unleashing the powers of the mind. Okay, 
Yeah, I'm not familiar with him, and I know a lot about DC comic book characters, but that one I do not know. Yeah, never heard of him. Well, I think that's all I have to say about this this comic. I'm okay with it so far. I like it so far. And uh, let's see what uh, Ardra is going to do next in the next episode. Next issue, or next episode, we'll do the original series, 37 through 39, and then we'll finish up with the Ardra story in episode 86. There you go. Two episodes from now, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I guess uh, if you don't have anything else, I'm going to run off and go watch some Batman Returns. Oh, enjoy it, man. Enjoy it. All right. I'm going to rush off and go watch the movie of the summer. Oh, Ben and Black 3? No. Dark Shadows? Dark Shadows, of course. (laughs) The movie of the summer. Yeah, it's... uh... Speaking of Batman Returns, there you go. Tim Burton at his greatest. So, Donovan, do you want to give us your, your quick, quick, quick review of the movie since you just saw it yesterday? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen it and probably will not see it, perhaps ever, but at least you know, maybe HBO, maybe. Uh, I was really disappointed in it, and, you know, I, I had a uh, working knowledge of the old show, mm-hmm. uh, so I was... Didn't want to see the movie to begin with because it looked like it was going to turn it into a comedy. And then instead, it was this weird, unbalanced just mess. <laughs> so there was some u- humor in it, and there was some action in it. There was some... Not really action, but uh, unnecessarily... I mean, it was like they were trying... You know, we were talking about dark comedy earlier. It was trying to be a dark comedy, I think, but it just didn't work. Yeah, okay. Good I mean, enough. He, he's a vampire. He's still killing people, but it's supposed to be funny. And I was just like, I don't, I don't get how he's a likable character when he's doing all these horrible things. Yeah, it, it, well, it was just very uneven. Let's leave it at that. I was a young kid when that show was on, which tells you how old the show was. And I, you know, and I was, I was like six or seven years old, something like that. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, that, that was – I used to get sick a lot, unfortunately, when I was a kid, asthma, that kind of thing. And I used to be home a fair amount from school, and that used to be my, my favorite daytime thing to watch. Well, that and Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah, it was a soap opera that, that uh, men could – or boys could actually sit through. Exactly. Well, it had a vampire in it. It had a werewolf in it, and it, it, it had other things in it too, but I remember mostly those two guys. Right, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. Um, well, enjoy the movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm more likely to see the Avengers again than that, but we'll see. Uh, save. Go. Go see Men in Black Three. If I remember correctly, my son said Men in Black Three got a 63% favorable ranking through Rotten Tomatoes. All right. So 63 is not good. 63 is not bad. Well, okay, so bad is Dark Shadows, which I think he said got 28%. (laughs) That's bad. I'll agree with that. But 68 is not that good. Uh, 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 A lot lot below the, was it 93 or 96% approval for the Avengers? Yeah, 93%. That's pretty impressive. Battleship got 34%. Oh, yeah, which is getting its ass whooped. By the Avengers, and I guess for good reason if it's got a 36% approval rating. Yeah, I, I'm I'm betting that Ben in Black 3 will take it over this weekend. Okay, cool. But, you know, since this is going to be posted, you know, four weeks from now, this will all be old news to anybody listening. Yeah, so. exactly. So, we'll stop. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for right. joining us. 
take care, everybody, and talk to you next week. On the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.